0: All right, our first reading is from Genesis 2 and then from 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, The sermon will be from Genesis 2 Uh, somewhat. Some part of the sermon will be uh, kind of attached to what we talked about this morning, but there's other things there as well that uh, we'll discuss for a bit. Genesis chapter 2, the second chapter regarding the creation account. It says thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. There was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bdellium. And the onyx stone. The name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hittikel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh." She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye and the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas, or I only, and Barnabas? Have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time? At his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. So that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but we suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that They which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them, that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Genesis 2 is an interesting chapter. Um, There's a sense in which Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3 goes with chapter 1 in a way that it doesn't go with the rest of chapter 2 because it records the completion of what we might call the God-alone act of creation. You see, the seventh day is where we start at the beginning of Genesis 2. Children, you know about the creation week, how it had seven days, But the seventh day of creation might more properly be called the seventh day of the week of creation because there is no work of creation that is performed on the seventh day. The finishing of creation happened, we are told, and that finishing is described in a certain way. It's described by God doing three things, resting, blessing, and sanctifying the seventh day unless you be in the dark, about what it means for God to bless the seventh day and sanctify it. There's one of those three acts, as it were, that kind of stands alone by itself, and it is pointed out as the thing which sanctifies the seventh day. It is because he rested. God rested on the seventh day, and by this, the text says, he sanctified it. What a thought to ponder The Holy Ghost, through the pen of Moses, tells you that God's rest from all his work is what sanctified that day. It sanctified it above all the other days, even though God had worked on those days. And one of the ways that we imitate God is by doing the very same thing. We're called to be imitators of God all over the scriptures, are we not? The Sabbath day, when it's addressed in the Ten Commandments, begins with the word remember. And most argue that this is placed in that commandment alone because we're supposed to think about something that happened before the giving of the Ten Commandments. We're to remember that God has sanctified the seventh day in creation. But in remembering the Sabbath day, we remember the act of God on the Sabbath or the seventh day. That act was resting. His resting sanctified it. Your resting from your six days of work on the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, sanctifies it as well. Now, with the week finished, as it were, through chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the Holy Ghost moves us to consider something that's phrased a bit like the beginning of Matthew's gospel, or like what is given in Luke's gospel when you're given a genealogy. We're told these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. You see, this work of God, this work of creation is so momentous, it needs its own genealogy. For that is the term that generations means. The heavens and the earth are said to have lacked something. In the text that we read, the heavens and the earth were formed by God. They were created by the word of his power, just as we know they are sustained by the word of his power. But they are said in our text to have lacked something. And that something that was not, that something is something that's made on the sixth day. So after the fifth day, the earth was still lacking in some sense. And what does chapter 2 tell us it lacked? It lacked a man to till the ground. There was mist coming up from the ground, so there was no rain yet. It's almost like God is saying, I was providing for the ground with this, but there needed to be more. This is how God watered the ground prior to rain, as hard as that may be to fathom. Having created many things out of nothing, the Lord forms from the dust of the ground, we're told, and breathes into man's nostrils, the breath of life. We're told that it is at this point that man became a living soul. I don't think the text is presented to us to make us think that there was necessarily any passage of time where Adam was made and then later on God's like, well, I guess I better complete him so I'm gonna give him uh, the breath of life. But we're told only after God has breathed this into Adam that he becomes a living soul, unlike the cattle, unlike the fowls of the air, unlike the beasts in the sea. It is the breath of God that brings Adam to this place. He was not a living soul at his initial formation, if we could speak that way, but after his formation and then his having God breathe into his nostrils, he became a living soul. We're told in chapter 2 that the Lord creates... He created all those things in the first five days. On the sixth day, we're told that he forms, for he formed a man from the dust of the ground. And then we're told something else in chapter 2. Not only does God create, not only does God form, but God plants. He planted a garden eastward in Eden. This is reminiscent of Isaiah, where the people of the Exodus are described as planted by the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 5 and it's also reminiscent to what we're covering in Sunday school in the text of Colossians where we might describe what Paul says in chapter 2 as we having been planted in Christ we've been rooted in him that garden imagery as it were that we are planted in Christ for Christ himself is the new creation man is formed in this garden we're told that is planted in the earth that God has created. Those terms are very important for you as you look at chapter 2, seeing that God has done all of this. It was not by a process. It was not by a big bang. It was not over millions of years. But God formed, God created, and God planted. He is causing the trees to go as you move a little bit through the passage. And the mention of two all-important trees are given. These trees that we know, unlike the other trees, which we don't know, but we're told they were good, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's almost like the Holy Ghost is preparing us for something. In chapter 1, you don't have all these details. The things stated here in chapter 2 are new in a sense. We're given an extended explanation, another angle, as it were, from the creation account of chapter 1. We're also told of a singular river that flows out of the garden into four other rivers. We certainly know that one of those rivers remains today. Uh, the last one that was mentioned, the Euphrates River, that one still is in play for sure. Maybe the others were lost in the flood. Who knows? Maybe they just have their names changed and we're not sure which ones they are. But the repetition of God, uh, as he often does when he repeats himself in various Uh, Places in Scripture. He repeats himself here in chapter 2, in verse 8 and verse 15. In verse 8, he says that God put the man whom he had formed, and then in verse 15, he says God took the man and put him into the garden. But we have additional details in verse 15. We're told why man is put into the garden, it is to dress and to keep this garden. And he's given a new command. Now, we don't really know the chronology of this command uh, as compared to those that were given at the end of chapter 1, the dominion mandate, as it's called, to take dominion over all things, to multiply and be fruitful and all that's given there, but we know that this is one that hasn't been stated yet as it relates to the trees in the garden. This is the creation account, though, told from another angle. And the reason God puts Adam in the garden, he says, is to dress it and to keep it. And there's a tremendous implication there. The earth was not meant to remain as it was. This tells us about Adam's work, but it also informs us about ours. We're given to the earth. Indeed, as I'll point out in just a moment, we're actually made from the earth. The earth is within man, in a sense, man being formed from the dust of the ground. But in our work, we are uh, given the earth to bring it to maturity, to bring out what God has already placed in the things which he has made. The earth is not to remain as it is. We're to draw its use out that God has planted within it. There is a, to use a technical term, a potentiality. In all things that God has made, in all our relations, there is potentiality that we're to ooze out of, to press, as it were, or to use a word from Christ's teaching in the Gospels to bring forth a harvest. But there's more. Just as the garden was alone in some sense, there's another um, person, or there is a person that is mentioned as being alone in this chapter. And it's not that God was insufficient for Adam. It's that God was not going to do the work himself that he had given Adam to do. Adam was alone. Even through the parade of animals that passes before him, there is not a helper suitable for Adam. You see, children, this teaches us about the control of God over even the animals, that he could cause them to pass before Adam so Adam could name them. I heard it argued recently about this uh, text where the animals pass before Adam and this declaration that it's not good for Adam to be alone. Notice that that comes first, right? We're told that it was not good for man to be alone in verse 18. I'm going to make him a helper, meet for him, appropriate for him, conditioned to him. And then, after that statement is made, then the animals pass before Adam. Why is this order given? Well, the argument I heard was that this passing before Adam of the animals was meant to create a longing in him, to show that nothing that God had made at that point was able to meet that need that God had created him with. Not only was God not insufficient, but we could say that Adam was created with an insufficiency in himself, a Uh, desire in him. It's almost like a disappointment to Adam that there was not one suitable to help him in the way that he needed to be helped. Adam was brought to this realization that man cannot go at his life alone. And the Lord, in a gracious act indeed, don't ever doubt that uh, there was not, or don't ever doubt the presence of grace even in what we call the covenant of works. The Lord, in a gracious act indeed, delivers this helper to Adam. And maybe you thought about the uh, covenant that God made with Abraham, where he causes him to fall asleep as well. He causes Adam to fall asleep. He brings him to a deep sleep so that he can bring his wife from his side. And there's tremendous imagery of the cross of Christ here as well, isn't it? How the bride of Christ comes forth from his very side where the blood flowed. That in our recollections back to our reading in Ephesians 5 this morning should be on our minds. But Adam receives this gift from God, this woman, and he, he breaks out. And this is poetic language where to indicate that there's kind of like a change in speech to show that Adam is rejoicing that he's speaking with glory in his heart, that he's been given a helper. This is now bone of my bones, not like the animals, and flesh of my flesh, not like the animals. And she shall be called woman, which is Esha. She's a she-man. Adam names her himself. God gives him this privilege because she was taken out of man, man being simply an ish. And because of this truth, Moses tells us, because Moses wrote Genesis, that we know that a man shall leave his father and his mother, cleaving to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want to read a couple things from Matthew Henry before I close. He speaks about Adam, and then he speaks about Eve. He says, From God, as his father, Adam received her. In Luke's genealogy, Adam is called the son of God. This is now bone of my bone. Adam means to say, now I have what I wanted and which all the creatures could not furnish me with, a help given for me. Henry says about this, God's gift to us are to be received with a humble, thankful acknowledgement of his wisdom in suiting them to us just as Adam received Eve, and to see them as his favor being bestowed upon us. And then when he speaks of Eve, he talks about marriage for a second, and then he talks about Eve. Marriage is honorable, but this surely was the most honorable marriage that ever was, in which God himself had all along an immediate hand. Marriages, they say, As Ephesians 5 says, and we talked about this morning, marriages are made in heaven. We are sure this was for the man, the woman, the match. They were all God's own work. He, by his power, made them both, and now, by his ordinance, made them one. This was a marriage made in perfect innocency, and so was never any marriage since. And he says of the woman, God, as her father, brought the woman to the man, As his second self and a help meet for him. When he had made her, he did not leave her to her own disposal. No, she was his child, and she must not marry without his consent. You see, the truth is that man is of the earth, not in a negative sense, but it shows man's place, that his work is to be upon the earth. Paul picks up on this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 in what I believe is one of the most complicated chapters in all of Scripture. But when he talks about our resurrection bodies at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he compares that which we have, starting at verse 47. He says, The first man, Adam, is of the earth. He's earthy. But the second man is the Lord, from heaven, as is the earthy, so Paul says, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And he speaks of the fact that we will inherit this spiritual body, speaking of Christ, that that Intention was indeed there all along that God built not just a desire in Adam for a helper, but a desire in Adam for a higher life, which is reflected. He says, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam, the last man, was made a quickening spirit. So this creation account ultimately, which we kind of we of course still live within, gives way to the heavenly life that comes where the spiritual man will reign as the one who has completed all this work of God and fills us with his spirit to bring it to completion. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we...